Good morning, church. It's uh, good to be around God's word with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 96. Psalm 96. We're continuing in a sermon series through the Psalms, a psalm for everything. And we're going to look at a great one today, Psalm 96. You know, anyone who is around me for any length of time knows how much I love being a dad. I love being a dad. Now, it's not easy, but it's, it's a lot of fun being a dad to five rowdy boys. And one of my preferred roles within fatherhood is being a hype dad, a hype dad. Is there any hype dads in the room? Anybody gathered in with us together? We're hype dads. This is an important role within fatherhood. And, and, and to, to be quite honest with you, I take it very serious. And I have found great success in my role as hype dad. When my boys are flat or they're sluggish or nonchalant, it's the role of hype dad to come in and get them hype, to get them excited, to get them in the zone for what is about to be ahead of them. For example, when it's time to clean their rooms. I don't know, your kids might get just really excited about cleaning their rooms. My, my boys don't, and so there's moaning and groaning, and they're dragging around. Well, no need to fear. Hype Dad is here, you know, and it's time for us to get us hype, and we get excited about cleaning our rooms. Uh, when you're headed to an athletic competition, uh, we're on our way to a soccer game. It's the role of Hype Dad to curate that right song the volume goes up and start getting them dialed in, ready to go for the game, for the athletic competition. Uh, some of my best work is actually on the way to school. I know we have school starting uh, uh, throughout these days, and uh, kids are going back to school. And well, when I'm taking my boys to school, you would think uh, that they're lifeless. Literally, the life has left them. They're just they're laying around, they're huffing and puffing, they're staring off into space. Well, don't worry, Hype Dad is here to get the emotions up, to feel the excitement. When things are flat, I love to get my boys hype. And Psalm 96, in some ways, is a bit of a hype psalm. It's, it's a bit of a psalm that is celebratory in nature. Its intent is to refocus and to refuel the people of God on that which matters most. And we need Psalm 96 today. Psalm 96 is a needed word for many of us who are experiencing a bit of a lull in our walk with Christ. Our faith for some seems to be on autopilot. The excitement is not there. Our faith is just flat. And I get it. I mean, life is hard. These days that we're living in is difficult. It's, it's disorienting at times. There, there's so much out there that is being thrown at us, and it can leave us overwhelmed and discouraged and wondering, how in the world are we to keep going? And what I want to do today is simply unpack the truths from Psalm 96, and my hope is that it will refocus us, that it will refuel us as a church family on what is ahead. Not with the shallow, fluffy stuff that's going to fade away by lunchtime tomorrow, but on some deep, wonderful truths that can renew our faith and rejuvenate our walk with Christ. Now, what if you're here today or you're gathered in with us and there's, 
nothing to renew. You're not even sure you believe all of this. For you, I invite you today to, to listen in and to hear about these stunning realities of who God is and all that he has done for us. And I hope and pray that today you will gain a new faith. You will have a new hope, a new love for the one who Psalm 96 is all about. So let's look at it together. Psalm 96 it says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Let's pause now and just pray to this God and ask for his grace as we dive into the word together. God, you are much greater than we even have the capacity to know in this moment. Your your works are more marvelous than we could fully comprehend. And for that reason, we want to pause right now before we unpack these truths and pray for your grace, for your grace in these moments to help me communicate well, to communicate, to proclaim this word in a way that honors you, God, and that is helpful for everyone who is gathered together God, we pray, Lord, that you would give each of us ears to hear from your word, ears to really hear from you, and receptive hearts to embrace, not just with our minds, not just with our intellectual uh, capacity, but with our entire being to embrace the spectacular realities of Psalm 96. We pray these things in the worthy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So preliminary words about Psalm 96. The Psalms, uh, some of you might know, are broken into five books. Now, this is important. Follow me here. 150 Psalms are broken into five different books, and Psalm 96 is situated in the fourth book. In fact, it's in the middle of the fourth book 
where there's a collection of psalms, Psalm 93 to 100, that are meant to refocus the people of God to this big, massive reality that the Lord reigns. I don't know if you heard me, but this collection of psalms is calling all of us to this reality, this all-important reality, the Lord reigns at all times and forever. No matter how chaotic your life is, no matter how troubling your life presently is, no matter how disappointing life's present reality is, these psalms are clearly communicating and calling us to see and to rejoice in and to align our lives with this fact, the Lord reigns. And these psalms are celebratory. They're celebratory psalms calling the people of God to joyfully anticipate the day when God's wonderful rule and reign are fully established. This psalm, Psalm 96, can be broken down into two calls to worship. There's two calls to worship, and each call is followed by a rationale. So two calls to worship, and then followed each one up with a rationale of why you should worship the Lord. Let's look at the first call, Psalm 96. Verse 1 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. The first call to worship is we are to sing and declare God's glory. Three times there's a command, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord. And in case you didn't get it the first two times, it repeats it the third time, sing to the Lord. Our faith is a singing faith. All throughout the word of God, the people of God sing. They sing in peacetime and they sing in wartime. They sing uh, in, in victory and they sing in defeat. They sing in celebration and they sing in lament. The people of God are to sing to the Lord. Now, many mix things up and equate worship with singing, but worship is much more than music. You see, when we gather together each Sunday in here or in our different locations and we sing songs together, we are worshiping together as a body of believers. But also when we sit under the preaching of the word, when a pastor, a teacher of the word proclaims the word, we are worshiping the Lord together. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper or baptism, again, we're worshiping together. Singing is an aspect of worship, but worship is broader than singing. It's also important to point out that musical worship's purpose is bigger than your personal experience. Musical worship's purpose is bigger than your personal experience. Now, why is that important? Well, if musical worship is all about your personal experience, then I totally understand it becoming about your preferences. And in fact, even becoming optional. If it's all about your personal experience, then certainly I could see it going to a place where you engage in it when it aligns with your preferences or uh, if you feel up to it on that given day. But this call to worship in Psalm 96 
is sing to the Lord. It is calling us, the people of God, to join in their voices in great celebration of who God is and what he has done for us. We are a forgiven people. We have our sins are forgiven. As far as the east is from the west are our sins. We are right before a holy God. We are fully known and fully loved before the God of the universe because of what this God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we sing to the Lord. We sing to the Lord. We're reconciled. We have an enduring hope. No matter how difficult this life is, The people of God have an enduring hope. Yes, we live in a broken world, and we come in here with real hurts and deep struggle, but we wait eagerly for the day when Jesus returns to make all things right. Therefore, we sing. We sing. But it's not that easy, is it? The details of life can really bog us down. We come in here and our hearts are heavy, oftentimes hurting. It's the worries of this life that can distract us and make our faith seem flat. Sometimes it's superficial stuff, but sometimes we're distracted by things that really matter. They're very important. They're serious. Maybe it's your job or a loved one. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's a relationship that you cared so deeply about that didn't work out. And when we come in here preoccupied with those things, those are some very serious things. God can seem small, and singing can be so hard. But the psalm reminds us God is not small. Verse 4, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. So singing and declaring God's glory, listen, is a way that God brings those other things into perspective. Did you realize that? This is what God does in our life when we're singing these praises to God, declaring who he is and what he has done. What he is doing in our lives is bringing those other things, sometimes superficial things, but sometimes very serious things, into proper perspective. And we begin to see that he is greater than our problems. And he's more significant than our suffering. This psalm is is calling us to join in the chorus of praise that is to our great God, sing to the Lord. Now with that reality before us, how can we justify coming into a worship gathering like this and letting out some under your breath, lackluster, half-hearted singing? If we're singing songs about this God and about this salvation, it certainly doesn't make sense to refuse to participate if we don't like the musical style. We don't just sing when it meets our personal taste and our preferences. We sing to the Lord. Our singing is motivated by the love for the Lord, and our singing deepens our love for the Lord. This is why it saddens me when I know people view the singing portion of our worship gatherings as optional. Maybe you hang out in the lobby for a few extra minutes or you spend some time texting some friends, looking over email, 
catching up, dozing off. It saddens me when people see uh, like a 20-minute sliding scale to come in here and, and then get in here when it really matters when the preaching of the Word happens. It's sad because you're missing out on something very important in the kingdom of God. God's children sing. And it's a means of grace that it's a, it's a way that God works powerfully in our lives and in our church family. When we sing together, it strengthens and it deepens our affections for Him. It sharpens and sets our attention on these wonderful truths that we hold so dear. And it gives praise and honor to the Lord who is worthy of our singing. Church, sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Now, there's certainly Sunday mornings that I come in our worship gatherings, and I just really am not feeling it. I feel like I'm literally limping into worship. Now, you might not think that pastors uh, experience that type of life. You might think that pastors kind of float in on a cloud of glory, you know, and everything's perfect in our lives. But for this pastor, at least, things are difficult some weeks. I go through another week keenly aware of my own weaknesses, weary from a life that is in this broken world. And I gather in with my church family and we start singing songs together. And do you know what happens? The words that we sing begin to retune my heart to the glory and goodness of our God. And the songs begin to remind me of the enduring hope I have that we have in Jesus. And it does something so profound in my life, in our lives, when we sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. A new song, sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. You know what is actually surprising about this psalm? that the nations, all the earth, is encouraged to join in their voices with God's people in this global chorus of praise. Now, this is shocking, especially if you read through all of the Psalms as we're doing. If you're going to notice the section before this uh, that we're in currently in, in, in Psalm 73 through 89, we see the nations are by and large described as enemies of the people of God. They're the ones who mock the name of the Lord. The nations are the ones who, who are in opposition. They're the ones who are oppressing. They are the ones who are bowing down to false gods. It's not shocking that God's people are called to worship this God, but it's shocking that the whole earth is called to this. It says it in verse 1, sing to the Lord. Who? All the earth. Verse 3, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Verse 7, ascribe to the Lord of families of the people glory and strength. In verse 10, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Some have pointed out that the new song spoken of in verse 1 is new when the earth joins in the singing. When more and more people, more and more nations join in to sing to the Lord, there's a newness of song that occurs. This is, this is what I love about this psalm because the psalm is refocusing us. It's refocusing our faith on the glory of God among all nations. Among all nations. Our faith is to have the nations in focus. Our worship should have the nations 
in mind. We're not just commanded to go to some people or to those in close proximity. We are called to go to all nations and communicate the good news. And not just communicate. Did you get Psalm 96? We're called to go and celebrate this God among them. Go to those pockets of people that do not have access to this, that have yet to hear of the greatness of our God and the goodness of his salvation, and get right in the middle of them and start celebrating how great God is. Start declaring his marvelous works. Just, you just get going. You just find a pocket of people who have never heard, and you not only communicate to them who God is and all that he's done, you celebrate it right there in the middle of them. Did you know that there are still many who have not yet heard of this God? There are still so many who have not yet heard of the salvation he offers in Jesus. And that should impact our worship. It should impact our lives as worshipers of this great God. There are many who do not know that he has made a way of salvation for them through the person and work of Jesus. No one has told them that Jesus Christ has come down from heaven, lived the perfect life that they did not live, and then died a sacrificial death for them, providing them a way for their sins to be forgiven, providing a way for them to be made right with the Holy God, providing them to have a hope in this life and in the next. Nobody's been there to tell them. Nobody has been there to celebrate this God and his news of, of salvation among them. They don't know of his marvelous deeds. The news of his salvation is yet to reach him. That means that there are people who live in places where the good news of Jesus is largely unknown, where there's not a church there that can make him known. And today, over 3 billion people find themselves in this category. Over 7,000 people groups find themselves where they have, many have never even heard of Jesus. Many of them have never had a follower of Jesus celebrate this great God and declare his marvelous deeds among them. And so this psalm Psalm 96 is calling us to sing and declare our great God and what he has done to all nations, to all the peoples. Go and sing and declare that there is a great God who truly is involved in the lives of people and he alone can save them. Verse two, tell of his salvation day to day. One author has paraphrased this verse saying, shout the news of his victory from sea to sea. Take the news of his glory to the lost. News of his wonders to one and all. The first call to worship, sing and declare God's glory. Well, what's the rationale behind that? Why do we do this? And the psalmist gives us those reasons in verses four to six. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his 
sanctuary. Why do we sing and declare the glory of God? Because he alone is worthy. Because he alone is worthy. Verse 4 says, for great is the Lord. Great is this God and greatly to be praised. He's to be feared above all gods. This God is worthy of our worship and the worship of all the peoples. Why? Because who he is, his character, and all that he has done, all that he has done, his works give evidence, ample evidence that he alone is worthy of our worship. Well, what about the other gods? Well, verse 5 says, For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Other gods are not worthy of worship. Their character, who they are, and their, their works, what they have done or what they have not done, is evidence of this. They are not worthy of worship. Verse 6 says about our God, Splendor and majesty are before him. I love these descriptive words they come out. Majesty refers to his greatness. When the Bible refers to the majesty of God, it's declaring his greatness. J.I. Packer, in his excellent book, Knowing God, listen to this quote. This is what he says about the greatness of our God. He says, today, vast stress is laid on the thought that God is personal. But this truth is so stated as to leave the impression that God is a person of the same sort as we are. Weak, inadequate, ineffective, a little pathetic. But this is not the God of the Bible. God is not limited. He is eternal, infinite, and almighty. He has us in his hands. We never have him in ours. Do y'all not love that? He has each one of us in his hands, and we never have this God in ours. Like us, he is personal. But unlike us, he is great. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. If you're following along with the Bible reading plan, you saw this mentioned yesterday in Psalm 26, verse 4. One thing I ask, to dwell in the house of the Lord and what? Gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Are you moved by the beauty of God? Does it move you when you gaze upon the beauty of God? Do you long for some unhurried time each week to gather together with other children of God and just soak in the beauty of God? Many pursue God to the extent that we find him useful. But this psalmist is calling us to worship God because he's beautiful, because he's beautiful. Some of you decide on whether or not you're going to go to worship or you're going to engage in this discipleship or this area of the church or, or this activity based upon how useful is this to me. And the psalmist is saying, this God is beautiful. This God is infinitely beautiful, and we will spend all of eternity gazing on the beauty of this God. He alone is great, and he is altogether good. He is worthy of your worship. Every single one of you, he is worthy of your worship. The first call to worship, declare and sing God's glory. Why do we do this? 
because he alone is worthy. The second call to worship starts in verse 7. It says, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. The second call to worship is this. Recognize and give God the glory that is due his name. Notice in verse 7. Notice in verse 8. Ascribe to the Lord what? Glory. Give him glory glory and strength. Ascribe the glory due his name. The first call to worship was about singing and declaring. Here the call is about recognizing and giving over to God that which is due his name, glory. But what does that mean? We sling that around a lot, and and I fear that we're not really confident, not really sure what does it mean for me to give God glory. What does it mean for your life to give God glory? Well, glory is God's radiant beauty. That's one way that it's it's used in the Bible. It's his supreme importance. Now listen, because I'm going somewhere with this. The glory of God is referring to his supreme value, his supreme importance. The word in the original here in Psalm 96 actually is the word, uh, it can be translated weight. God has weight. He has substance. He's infinitely valuable. So compared to this God, everything else is what? Weightless. Now think about that. Just real quick, make a mental checklist in your own mind right now of the things that are important in your life the things that you find value in in your life. Maybe it's your family or your career, your possessions, your health. These things are important. Your friends, your ambition, your education, your reputation. These things no doubt are important, but compared to God, compared to his supreme value, those things do not have glory. Are you tracking with me? They don't have glory. They're weightless. They're fluff. They will one day be taken away. Only God is supremely valuable. Therefore, listen, if you put weight into anything else above and beyond God, if you invest your life into those things over and above God, your life one day will collapse because those things don't have glory. Your life one day will fail because those things are not able to withstand the weight. They don't have the glory. How do you know when you're putting glory or weight into something? One way you could do it is ask yourself what happens if that thing is taken away from you. You can tell the worth of something or someone to you by how you feel if you lose it. If it's taken away, certainly you could be sad, you can be hurt, you can be lonely. But, but if your life is ruined because it's no longer there, 
If you can't get over the fact that you no longer have it, then you are ascribing glory to something that is not glory. You're putting a level of importance on something that only God deserves. He alone is glorious. He deserves us to glorify Him, to make Him your purpose, your supreme value. That's what verse 5 is saying when it says, all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. All these other things that you're glorying in, you're putting weight in above, him, uh, above this God, they are worthless. They're weightless. That's not just talk, taking a shot at other religions. It's stating the obvious. Only this God has glory. He alone is supremely valuable. Amen. You need to make him the most important thing in your life, to make him that which matters most to you. Some of our faiths are flat because God is on a list of things that are important to us. And God doesn't deserve to be on a list. He deserves to be up top. He alone is supremely valuable. He alone has glory. And so this psalm is calling us away from putting weight in those things that do not have glory, and it's calling us to recognize and give God glory. Do you realize that you can believe in God? You can even come in here and sing songs and even hear sermons and engage to some degree in the life of this church and not glorify God not be glorying in God because you're putting supreme value into something else. You're putting other things more important than God. And, and the psalmist is saying, ascribe to the Lord glory. Don't use God to assist in your other areas of life. See God as the most important, the most valuable. Assign him the top of the list and order your life around his supreme value. He is glorious. So we need to recognize and give God glory that is due his name. Now, why do we do that? Well, it leads to the final point, beginning in verse 11. Let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Why do we recognize and give glory to God that is due his name? Well, here the psalmist says you do that because he comes to judge. Did you get the scene in verses 11 and 12? I mean, try, try to imagine what does this scene feel like? What does it sound like? The heavens are glad. The earth is rejoicing. The sea is, there's, I mean, it's just roaring. The sea, everything in it is roaring and the field is exulting. Everything in it is exulting. Even the trees of the forest are singing for joy before the Lord. This, this climactic point of worship is happening. Why? Because he comes 
Why is the entire creation exploding in worship in verse 11 and 12? Because he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He comes to judge the earth. Now, why in the world is there such rejoicing? Why is creation joining in with this anticipation of what God is about to do, and he's coming to judge? The reason is because this king will return. This God who reigns right now, you can mark it down, he will return one day. And when he returns, he will address everything that is wrong. And he will address it with his perfect justice and his perfect righteousness. There will be no looking the other way. There will be nothing left hidden. Everything is exposed and called to account. That is a terrifying thought. To be clear, judgment is a terrifying reality for those who have not experienced the salvation that is referred to in this psalm. If you've not experienced the salvation that that, that, that God's people are called to sing about and declare to the nations, then judgment is certainly a terrifying reality for you. Every act of rebellion will be called to account. The Bible could not be clear that that day of judgment is coming, and it is terrifying to those who are apart from Christ. But for those of us who are in Christ, those of us who worship this God, who have submitted our lives, our will, our worship, we've given him the worship, the glory that is due his name, and we are in Christ. Listen to me. Judgment is a hopeful reality. How in the world could that be? How could that be? We will finally and fully be delivered from the bondage of sin. Ultimate deliverance is coming one day for us. And on that day, fields will be exulting, the sea is going to be roaring, trees are going to be singing. On that day, all of our debts will have already been paid by the blood of Jesus. No need to fear. No need to hide in fear. No need to run in shame. Your debts, Christian, have been paid in full. Your shame has been nailed to the cross. The one who knew no sin became sin for you so that you could be the righteousness of God and joyfully anticipate a day of judgment. Because on that day, we look forward to that day that God will finally and fully and forever establish that which is right. And we long for that day. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Judgment is not a threatening reality for you, Christian. The cross of Jesus Christ paid for your sins in full. You will forever be restored on that day. You will no longer struggle with sin and your weaknesses. Your heart will no longer wander after lesser glories. It will not happen anymore. And on that day, when everything is made right, you will finally experience what it means to be fully alive in Christ. Now that makes sense how this entire book ends. 
in Revelation with Jesus saying, I'm coming soon, to which John says, come, Lord Jesus. Please come back. Come back soon. Do that work. Restore what is broken. Restore these broken bodies and this broken creation into what you rightly created and you redeemed it to be. Living under the gracious, good, and great rule of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Just in the stillness of this moment, I want to give each of us some time to respond to Psalm 96, whether you're gathered in one of our locations or tuning in online. There's a lot in this psalm. God alone is worthy of your life. God alone is worthy of your worship. He alone is glorious. And the nations need to hear this. He's coming one day to judge the earth. How is the Lord leading you to respond to his word today? Some of you need to believe, you need to make this God, the one who is perfectly revealed in Jesus, the most important thing in your life. You need to turn from a life of rebellion and you need to turn to Jesus now. You need to join in on these songs, celebrating the greatness of our God and the goodness of his salvation. Some of you need to take some time, some, some moments where you can just identify where are you putting glory in that doesn't deserve the glory. But all of us just need to take a moment and consider and celebrate in our own hearts the greatness of our God. God, you alone are great, and you are greatly to be praised. You alone are glorious. You are infinitely valuable, and now we turn to you in faith. We respond to you in faith, trusting, believing, celebrating your greatness and your goodness in our lives. And we desire to do this among the, all the peoples, all the nations, God, you're worthy of this. May that be the song until you return. Would we joyfully anticipate the day you return and restore and recreate this broken world? We long for that day to come. Come, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.